Hello, this is Lisa LaRose on Connect to Love on the Vibrant Living Network on PRNFM. And I want to welcome you today, and I want to welcome my co-host, the wonderful Michael J. Russ, um, here on Connect to Love. And, you know, every day we are given so many different reminders of how connected we truly are. Um, In the Native Canadian Indian culture, they have a word called Mama Wasika, and I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but it does, it starts with mama and then W-E-S-K-A. And what that one word means is our universal connection to everyone and everything. So that one word takes up seven words that we use to describe that connection. And, and that's really what we are here on this planet for and what we come each week to 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 speak about so first without further ado i'd love to welcome my co-host who i feel so connected to michael j russ welcome michael hey thank you so much uh, lisa it's a pleasure of course to be here having this weekly conversation with you thank you so much and uh so as i uh was sharing with uh, michael this morning uh, and I'm not on social media very often, so I always, when something pops up, I, I sort of pay attention. And a friend of mine lost her 82-year-old mother on June 2nd, and she was originally from Aberdeen, Scotland. And my friend wrote the most beautiful tribute to her that really, I mean, I I wept, and it made me think about how connected we are and how each one of us can move forward with our dreams. So I'm just going to share a little bit about Jane. She said she immigrated to the United States aboard the ocean liner RMS Queen Elizabeth in 1958 at the age of 19. With little or no money in her pocket, she purchased a third-class ticket aboard the ship and headed to New York City Mm -hmm. to work and live out her American dream. Her arduous journey across the Atlantic took six days and nights. Knowing she had limited funds, she began to collect fruit aboard the ship, as this would be her nourishment until she found a job in America. Jane would recall sailing to the New York City port, seeing the Chrysler building, among others, overwhelmed with emotion of bravery and fear, yet not knowing at that very moment she saw a tremendous opportunity. Jane's first hurdle came as she was stopped by the steward while getting off the ship. He confiscated all the fruit she had and informed her that she could not bring them into the U.S. Filled with emotion, she shed a few tears and explained to the steward she had very little money and that the only food she had was the fruit until she found work. The steward took pity on her, reached into his pocket, and gave her what money he had. Jane bowed to the man she would find a job and return to the port and pay him back. The steward smiled in disbelief and wished her well on her journey. Within three weeks, she had three jobs, one being a secretary at Unilever. She did return to the port, found the kind steward, and returned the loan. Again, the steward smiled in disbelief. Jane's tremendous work ethic was a steadfast characteristic throughout her entire life and eventually earned that American dream. So she went on um, from that early beginnings to become, uh, she took started taking Montessori training. And in 1972, she formed her own school called Apple Montessori, which ha- now grew to over 18 locations and has for 50 years 
educated children. And um, it's so, it, to me, it, it's, you know, one of the things that they said, they said they would often hear her advising women with words like, just start and keep pushing forward. The rest will come. Or work solves most problems. If you don't work, you have to have, you add financial stitches financial issues to your problems. Her words went straightforward, word wisdom were endless, and she earned her American dream and then some. And, and you know, I, I, when I read that, it made me think about all the conversations we have, Michael. It made me think about your amazing mother, your sister, and, and I know you have an incredible niece as well. And and even you, you know, we were, you know, no matter where you are, you know, you just keep moving forward. And, uh, you know, and, and one of the things he said, I'll leave you with the words Jane ended every phone call with, bye-bye, darling, bye-bye, I love you. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, that really, you know, touched my heart. I thought, you know, how many children over 50 years did this woman impact? And each one of us, as we talk about this subject, exact subject, Michael, where we hold our, our point of light, where we hold our frequency is really can impact so many people and we never know where, where it will lead us. So um, I, I just wanted to share that with you and with our audience because I found it so inspiring. To say it's amazing. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, to say to say the story is amazing doesn't give it justice. Uh, I think it's uh, it's an incredible an incredible testament to uh, human spirit when you uh, maintain a positive perspective and you um, you uh, embrace positivity at every turn. I mean, it, it's it's something that you know you tell people, hey, if you if you maintain. Uh, a higher positive, a higher frequency of of, of joy and giving is is a huge aspect. Was a huge aspect of her life. I, you know, I, I told somebody in a podcast, or maybe I said on this radio show, you, you should really strive to be of service to to others fifty percent of your life, fifty percent of the time, and that can come in many different ways. Um, what it does for you though is is mainly it, it helps keep your own frequency resonating at a very high level because giving is very powerful and very empowering when it comes to personal alchemy. And I just heard it this morning, literally. I was, um, I was catching something uh, on uh, CBS earlier this morning for a couple of minutes while I was prepping something. And uh, every once in a while I can catch a really interesting story, and a positive story. And one of the, one of the people that was on had said, uh, just, keep, just keep moving forward with Hold on a second. It just popped out of my head for a second. That's really strange. Um, he said, uh, when it comes to helping others, he says, giving, giving is is my uh, is my fuel for life. Giving is my fuel for life. And uh, this uh, young lady, Jane, I, I, I'm just like, wow. Number one, I love Montessori. At least you live around one in, in California, around the, around the corner from one. And they have a kind of a metaphysical bent on, uh, on helping uh, young people move forward. And it mm-hmm. was evident in what she told them. Uh, and just, just keep moving and told a lot of women, just keep moving forward. Just keep putting one foot after the other. Stay positive and positive things will occur. And that's all part of this 
um, resonance and frequency that we've been talking about for you know many episodes now, and it's generally becoming the 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 underlying uh, um, the underlying uh, aspect of my entire uh, the foundation of my of my podcast series is is keeping your your frequency resonating at a really high level, um, and she mm-hmm. was able to do it. There is no better you know sometimes souls have put her on this earth just to simply nurture other souls in, in, right. in, a, uh, in their own very unique way. And I love it when I come across somebody like that. I don't necessarily look in the meter and see myself like that. However, I, I, I enjoy doing just that. I enjoy sitting down with somebody and, give, and helping them see a different perspective, a different, help them shift their perception about something that, whether it's anxiety or this or that, uh, you know, whatever it might be, and I've, I, it, it's it's even more fun to do it in a split second when when you come across somebody you've never uh, you never met, you don't really you never met, you don't know their name, you didn't introduce, introduce yourself, but you maybe had a conversation with them, and you heard something and uh, that was about them that was a little bit off, maybe they're thinking, and you just maybe be imparted a little something, said a little something that would would you need just kind of like pivot them pivot their thinking away from the negative side of things and then maybe towards the positive. And then they'd recognize it and they go, oh my gosh, yes. Oh yeah. It's like, wow, I just, I just had to snap out of that. Um, that's kind of where we are today. With regard to my mother, boy, I'll tell you, that's a, she, she's a, a, an, an elegant 93 and a half year old who uh, has always been um, positive and always told us that very same thing about you know, it's just, it just you know, wherever we were, she wanted to make sure she exposed us to the world. And she told my father at the time when, when they were about to get married that, you know, when we have kids, we've got to make sure we take them everywhere we go. Don't, don't, they made a pact never to take, uh, never to, that he would never go on a station, the duty station, uh, for a couple of years away from the family, that he would always choose a duty station that the family could also um, enjoy with him. And uh, from there, we would travel and we'd see other places. So uh, at seven years of age, I was introduced to the country of Taiwan, uh, which is, I think it had just changed from Formosa within the previous 10 years. Um, so it, it's, uh, it, it, it was an experience of contrast that I tell people about today as, many, as much as I possibly can, because we live in a country that doesn't, in the Western world, there's not much contrast with regard to um, economic contrast, uh, cultural contrast, you name it, it was there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So being in, in a Chinese country at that particular age uh, involved uh, understanding their cultural norms, not, in, not pushing our cultural norms on someone else, uh, making sure that we you know, worked within uh, the boundaries of their cultural norms and, and things that were going on. We're talking about a lot of people that had no indoor plumbing. I mean, outside of our compound where we live, there was no indoor plumbing. <laughs> I mean, most of the, unless it was a building built by Westerners. Uh, so it's, to experience that at seven years of wow. age, and my mother would simply say, look, she says, you know, you got to understand. And on top of that, I'm African-American. I'm in a country where, a little, a country where I was an, a rarity. I was some, I was somebody that they saw on TV. And believe it or not, toothpaste, toothpaste ads, believe it or not. Um, 
back in the day, it was a time in the mid-60s where um, the cultural norms here in the United States were not as favorable to, uh, to African Americans. So uh, that cultural, those cultural norms bled out into other countries where to sell products could, you know, to, to, to them. So specifically, there was a, I was, I was shown at the time by my mother a, a, a toothpaste container that was being sold to Chinese that would being sold on the premise that it could whiten your teeth. And the character, the caricature on the toothpaste tube was Al Jolson. Oh, my goodness. That was the character they were using to sell toothpaste to the Chinese. It was like a, a Procter & Gamble thing. It's like a Procter & Gamble thing. That, that basically was it. It wasn't the Chinese doing it. It was an American company looking to sell products outside. So, you know, my mother said, just don't even, don't even. I was well beyond it at that particular point. I already lived in Alaska and in Omaha and Nebraska. And you, you just, you look at this. My mother simply said one of the most amazing things to me when, when people would come up to us, Chinese would come up to us and rub our skin and touch our hair and giggle and, because they had never seen anybody like us in person, right? And she said, look, she says, don't get upset. Don't get mad in any way. It's just their way of experiencing something different. And you do not want to be the example that they will then look to for the rest of their lives. So if you get upset, right. you start smacking their hands and doing whatever, getting ticked off, all and getting mad, that is the impression they're going to be left with. You don't want to leave that impression with them. How wise is that for a mother? I mean, well, that I'm 64 true. years old, and I'm remembering that one. I remember that just about every day, just about every day. Your impression, your fir the first impressions matter. And I can't tell you how often I am the only African-American person in the room, on the ship, at the resort. <laughs> it doesn't matter where it is I go in the world. I always seem to be, I'm looking around going, okay, this is, this is, this is kind of cool. And I, I'm an ambassador. So Jane was an ambassador. That's what I see her as, a, a, universal, uh, a, a universal ambassador, uh, an ambassador to introduce the concepts of Montessori to uh, hundreds and hundreds of kids and get them off on the right foot. But she had a work ethic that, mm -hmm. as, you, as, you know, as was said in the eulogy, steadfast. Um, it, and she was honest. She was ethical. She was moral. She, it's, 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 a, it's an amazing thing to, you know, because you look at what's going on out there today, and it's almost, it's almost as if, and it was, she was completely untouched by the, the kind of influences that are out there today influencing our young people and sure. influencing just about everybody else, right? She was we, not... Yeah. It, that contrast, I mean, it's like huge contrast between those then and now. And you look back yeah, on it, you, know, you see. It is. And they said, they went on to say that in, she founded her school in 1972, where in a time when women were not business owners. And, you no, know, it, and so they said, you know, she really shot, she had four daughters of her own. She shattered that glass ceiling. But, you know, it was mm -hmm. her respect and love for children and her mentoring of other human beings that she dedicated her life to 
It wasn't just men. It wasn't just women. It wasn't, you know, anybody regardless of color. They were, yeah, human beings. But, and, it, was a, um, but it was a perception, though. It was her perception that she could do it. Perception that what she mm-hmm. was doing was more important than social norms, more important than anything else. And so she never let, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this point, I'm just pulling this out of thin air, but based on her story, it would seem that, she, that nothing stopped her. She continued to move forward. She didn't let social norms get in the way. Uh, she is the kind of person that I would picture would walk into an office. If she got three jobs in a week or two, I mean, that Unilever? Come on. I mean, you're walking in the door saying, hey, I can do this. And this is what I tell young people today. When you go in for an interview, make sure, number one, that you want the job because then you're going to have commitment written all over your face and your body mm-hmm. language, and it's going to be in the tone of your voice. And you, you, you're impassioned when you want something that badly. You're impassioned. And that passion that you have is infectious. It's contagious. People can can sense it before you even open your mouth. And how many, I don't know how many times you've had people tell you that you're, that you're really passionate about what you do, but I'm sure it's been many. And when you start talking about something, you go, wow, you're so impassioned by it. I could just sit there. I would love to have had a conversation with Jane, really. It would have been so much fun to just kind of pick her brain instead. I agree. As to I agree. What her, you know, her daughter what her is brain. remarkable. So I can imagine, you know, I just, you know, I just know how much she was honored. And, and it just, it really you know, touches my heart. And, you know, Michael, when you were talking about Al Jolson selling toothpaste, it made me think of all of the marketing constructs. For instance, Betty Crocker. You know, her face was on every cookbook that I had in my in my house growing up, and it was just until recently that I realized that Betty Crocker actually didn't exist. <laughs> she was uh, she was a marketing construct, um, but you know, everybody welcomed her into their home. Everybody wanted to be like Betty Crocker. You know, bake like mm-hmm. her, cook like yeah. her. Yeah. You know, be a homemaker yeah. like her. And and so you think about all of these different things that are presented to us, um, whether it be you know in the media or through these marketing companies. That doesn't mean that it's bad. I mean she was very very wholesome, but it may not be you know where you you know you check into reality. <laughs> and you know you <laughs> well you know we talk about. <laughs> go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say Betty Crocker wasn't real, but Aunt Jemima was. Yes, she Aunt was. Jemima was a real person. She was a real person, and her family, uh, her descendants, uh, were rather upset when her when her uh, likeness was removed from uh, from products. They were really upset by it. Um, they didn't see it the same way, and again, they had a different perception of her. And mm-hmm. sometimes cultural perceptions cultural perceptions do shift um, in a in a positive way most of the time. Sometimes they shift in a negative way, and mm-hmm. you just kind of have to roll with it and maintain your individuality. Uh, I think that, you know, from, from that standpoint, it, it's incredibly important. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I asked my mother one time, how did, you, how did you raise such amazing kids? And yes, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you got a brother who's an actor. He's three self independent thinking, self actualized kid. Um, and and I, one day I was at home at her house back in California, and she she 
tossed me a book. And I can't tell you what the name of it is because I think I gave it back to her. <laughs> but I took it back to her and put it on her bookshelf. Uh, but it was a book on raising, on parenting. It was a book on wow. parenting. It was a, 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 yeah, it was like an inch and a half, two inches thick, uh, green cover. It still had the paper cover on it, kind of ripped up a little bit uh, because it had been all over the world. Uh, and and I and she tossed it to me when I said, this is only part of it. <laughs> this is only part wow. of it. You might have gotten some something out of here, but, you know, most of the time it was just a, a function of being uh, pragmatic, a realist, not allowing um, people to uh, – she was a sovereign being. That, that, that's probably the best way to – describe my mother. My mother was, not, not was, she is a sovereign being. She uh, is, somebody but who, not only that, she was a, really a pioneer because if you think back to when you were seven, it just like with Jane, it was not really talked about. The ideas that she was putting forth, she was really a, a pioneer in, in yeah. setting a precedent, um, which is exactly. incredible. That, now, just out of curiosity, where, where, where did she grow up and what were her parents like? Did you get to know your grandparents? Um, actually, no. I never met the grandparents on either my mother or my dad's side, ever. My parents, my, my, dad's, my dad, um, interestingly enough, grew up in, in uh, uh, Hastings, Florida, which is a little town which is now has its own exit sign off of I-95 and uh, by, <laughs> wow. yeah, by Ponte Vedra Beach. I only went to his homestead one time in 1973 when we came back from Turkey, three years in Turkey as a station over there he had. Uh, he picked us up in a motorhome at uh, JFK. He came back, he'd come back a year. Uh, his next uh, station was in Rome, New York at Griffiths Air Force Base, and he had come six months ahead of us. We had had, a special, had special permission from the Turkish government to hang around for another six months after he left uh, to wow. finish school and finish the summer. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, that's an interesting story in its own right because my mother's the one that got it. Now, I'll tell it, remind me to tell you how she got that permission, which no other, no other American family in Turkey ever got. <laughs> ever wow. got. It's, 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 you cannot. It's, it's almost like an illegality. It's illegal for for uh, the family to remain when the host, when the, uh, the officer whose station it was is no longer there. <laughs> it's like, but anyway, I'll tell, I'll tell you the story now. It's very simple. We lived in a building where the retired finance minister lived on the top floor. The finance minister of Turkey retired. She got to know him. They respected each other. And, you know, it was back in the 70s, and this is an Islamic country, so women were second-class citizens, that kind of thing. Except she would go up and ask him for favors every once in a while, and they got to know each other. She sat down and had some tea. They had a conversation. They developed a mutual respect. And then when this happened at the end of the tour, two, two and a half years later, she says, my, my dad wanted to go back. She, she didn't want us to leave high school. My brother was, was graduating. Uh, actually, oh, no, he wasn't graduating. He was one year. He was one year from graduation, and he. She wanted him to finish out the year. Wanted us to finish out the year, so we did. Um, but the only way we could do that is if she would go up and talk to him and get a special waiver from the Turkish government. And because he was an ex-finance minister, he had connections. So she went up and asked him. He said, "I'll see what I can do." And I think it was a week later. Said, "Yeah, you're done. You can stay here uh, as long as you want. 
<laughs> and then go back. We don't need to stay here. Yeah, we stay here six six months. My dad left, and she ended up packing up everything, handling all the packing of everything. Everything he was back working, and did everything. So that's the strength of of my mother. And that was in the seventy. Um, what was it? Nineteen seventy three, that she did that. Wow. Um, and it, it's really rather rather interesting that uh, she um, she is she's always been that kind of person, very strong willed. And understand that my dad was an officer. He was a black officer. That was also a rarity. Um, he went to Tuskegee and got his, uh, um, got his um, uh, he was an ROTC. Came out a second lieutenant in the early 50s. Uh, did go to Korea. That was his only, yeah, had to go to Korea for a year. Uh, but we weren't born yet. So he came back and uh, that was, that was, so if you, the dynamic that we're talking about here is, um, the black wife of a the, the wife of a black officer in nineteen in the mid sixties in a foreign country, Taiwan, which really didn't it had one base in the whole country, um, oh and culturally the people were, you know, way backwards by virtue of what we consider normal even then, um, and because of a lot of uh, economic socioeconomic situations. And, and Taiwan has become a powerhouse since, but back then it was just a little fledgling country uh, that had separated, Chiang Kai-shek separated from, uh, took a bunch of people to, and his whole, his whole his money, his finances and wealth and moved to Taiwan and set up a whole new uh, government. But that's another story. She had to deal with officers' wives, white officers' wives. So she navigated that for a better part of 22 and a half years. And oh uh, she never took any guff. She never took anything from anybody. She's very, di- matter of fact, I think I learned my b- diplomacy in, in handling situations from her. Uh, that's where I think I learned it because she never got upset. She would just state the facts, be very steadfast. And she was, she'd speak very pr- pragmatically about what the situation was. And what people were always looking for is for her to get upset and fly off the handle. Never did it. She never did it. Wow. And I learned that uh, to this day, that's how I deal with issues and problems that I come across. I don't see them as, as see somebody as being, um, I don't, I don't ever jump to the fact that it's a cultural issue, an ethnic issue, whatever. I just basically go in and speak reason and mm-hmm. say, Hey, this is wrong. This is the way it should be. You know it. I know it. Let's make this happen. Uh, and if it does, it's great. If it's not, I, I'm, as a sovereign, I can take my dollar anywhere I want to. And I can basically have the consequence of being able to let others know that, uh, that this is the way they do business. And I always hold that over their head. Any business is in business to do business to, to, to be successful. And that's, that, that's, it's a very powerful thing when you remind them of that, that their success mm-hmm. can be impacted uh, by uh, their own personal actions and whatever, their own personal proclivities, um, and so to speak. God, I haven't, I haven't used that word in a long time. Um, That's a great but, word. <laughs> <laughs> just, stuff just pops out of your head. Uh, however, I, uh, Mama, Mama, uh, Mama Weska, Weska, Mama Weska, uh, our universal connection to everyone on the planet, the oneness. That's their word for oneness, which right. is 
So you Every pronounced call, it better it, than I did, Mama Wiska. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, but that's only because I spent a lot of time in Hawaii. I dated a Hawaiian girl, and in Hawaii, every indigenously, every every letter is spelled is said uh, individually, and okay. we have a tendency to Weska. It's Weska, Weska. It's likely yeah. Mama Weska. Okay, so if you look at how uh, indigenous peoples uh, pronounce their in, in language and speak, it's really rather interesting, um, and so. That concept, though, is, as, as I like to say, we come from oneness and we seek oneness in our entire lives and then we, we return to oneness. Mm-hmm. We uh, don't know what oneness is uh, when we arrive as souls, when we're born. We don't know what oneness is. And we spend all our lives figuring it out. And in many cases, don't ever. We also look for the oneness is... is is attached to unconditional love, a deep unconditional love that I don't think any of us could really truly understand um, because it's on a level that's way beyond our understanding. However, we have, our souls have been familiar with it. And we, in the back of our minds, in my view, we, we're looking for it all the time. We're looking for it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yet, we're also being told by society to be separate. To right. be an individual, which is contradictory to the whole oneness concept. Uh, as a society, you, it's, it's more empowering to, it's more powerful for the, those who are telling you to be an individual um, than for the individuals themselves. If you really think about it, from a, on the, in the grand scheme of things, if you're looking to operate a government, you want individuals, you don't want collectives. Because the collective can be more powerful than the government. If everybody in mm-hmm. the United States or Canada or whatever country it may be decided that we were all going to be one, that would be a very powerful mindset. That would be a, would be a powerful force. Mm-hmm. A powerful force. 100%. Because it would, re- it would rewrite many laws. It would change the whole school system. It would change everything. Oneness is, is, a, is, a, is an idea. It's, it's a concept that, again, we all seek. We all want to be part of, of, of something. It's, it's natural for us to want to be connected to other people, to be part of a tribe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Have that little feeling, right? So, yeah, no. In, Mama. In, we, <laughs> so, Mama Wiska. Right? I wrote that down. I'm using that from now on. I, I love it. I, I love <laughs> I love Native American I love the indigenous languages because they're so simple. I know it is, it is <laughs> beautiful. You know, I I was thinking you know, when you so when you were talking about you know the harmony. So you know, if you and I were standing in a pond and we were skipping stones, you throw a stone, mm-hmm. and then that stone will ripple, and it affects every other thing within that pond. And so, you know, when you think about that, you know, your, your thoughts and your intentions, they're all a form of energy that radiate from you, whether you want to believe it or right. not. And mm-hmm. we are 100% all connected. And so when you talk about harmony, and, you know, it made me think of a conductor when I was a kid. I, I didn't really understand the purpose of a conductor. I just couldn't understand how this person was given a job waving their hands in the air. 
But you know, as you start to get a little bit older, and you start to really understand that you you need to have some direction in that connection. And so, within the body, you know, every cell that you it wants to communicate in harmony. Uh, I think that when you have a connection to to that coherent frequency, which is what you speak about so often, and you be able to merge it all together, uh, that's really when things can shift. And it's your thoughts, your emotion, your mental, your physical energies that we emit in all directions. And uh, one of the things that I, I sort of, I love going to the zoo and I like to play little games in the aquarium <laughs> where I, you know, you watch the fish and you move your finger and they all turn at the same time. So, you know, I sort of will try to send thoughts to the animals. And the one day I was in, we have an open area zoo and I was just, I went into the space of, just sending love to the, the gorillas and you know because they're so magnificent to watch and I was just moving my hands and just focusing that energy from my heart and it was so interesting because they all sort of turned and they came and a couple of them sat down next to the glass and it was just really a magical moment for me um, you know whether or not it was fantastical imagination but I really felt that connection to them energetically and and so I think when you turn into that uh, the fields and the flow and the harmonies um, it's so so important to keep your thoughts pure and to do what your mother did which was never let somebody really get your ghost to mm-hmm disturb your field. It was more important for her to preserve um, and to really stand as an example. And she led by example, and she still does, which I know I'd just, I'd love to see someday a movie made about your mom. She just sounds like such a a remarkable individual. And just the the colorful life that you guys led because of the choices and and the guidance. I mean, she really was, if, if that was... A tribe, she would be the tribal leader. I would believe, even though your father had the rank <laughs> in the military, yeah, I believe. I agree. That just Mom was very strong. Strength. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do and agree. That's very a, strong. Sort of how very I strong. Feel that. It's, yeah, it's, so. it's, what's interesting is how we, uh, how we as a society allow ourselves to be led astray, and that's really mm-hmm. um, something that I think about all the time. How do you, how do you get um, people to look at themselves as being part of the whole. How do you um, in, get them to, uh, or just encourage them, or you know, influence them to to look at to to examine their own frequencies, their own their own state of being at any given time. I write about that more than anything else in my podcast. As a matter of fact, the next podcast is about that too, about you know the state of being in our in our current economy. There's there are so many outside forces, and the difference between today and when I was growing up, when I was seven years of age or whatever, and same thing with you, uh, is that we grew up in an age. At least I know I did. I'm not quite sure about you. It was, I grew up in an age where uh, where there was there was only a you know telephone booth and uh, you're talking about rotary phones, 
And yeah, I, when it comes to, yeah. So and where rotary you had phones. to remember people's phone number in your head. <laughs> uh, there were party lines when I grew up. Oh. There were party oh. lines when you had operators and party lines when I grew up. That's how you got connected. You called, you called wow. zero for the operator. And you actually could, believe it or not, pick up the phone and dial zero, get an operator, and say, I need the number for blah, 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 blah. And they gave right. it to you. <laughs> I do well, remember that. No Siri involved. Today I asked Siri, Siri, give me the number to blah, blah, blah. But back in those days, it was a real-life person sitting in an office somewhere in a junction place. And, and you know, you, you think about that. And no computers and none of that other stuff to kind of muck up the works. Um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of outside influences today, I'd say exponentially more than, than even 50 years ago. And because of that, and they're just getting, they're just increasing at, at a faster and faster rate every single year. And mm -hmm. you, you look at that, and, and all of these things have an impact. They're all driving you to, 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 to be an individual, to not be part of the whole, to not think as one to not even embrace oneness. It's all about your individuality and, and you know, what you do and you want to do, be, differentiate, differentiate, differentiate yourself from somebody else. It, it, it focuses on driving separateness, driving separateness. And in every aspect of, of our society, because those powers, corporations or others that actually benefit from our thinking as a separate individual uh, continue to propagate. And we are, we have to come together and the only way we can manage our frequencies effectively is to come together, get to know our neighbor, uh, get to know uh, the people that we encounter on a, on, a, on a daily basis out where we go, you know, practice the mindset of oneness, I guess, is more than anything else. You might not know intimate details about their life, but you can, you can think and act from oneness. You can do that. And it doesn't cost anything to do that. You can, you can make a decision to think and act from oneness where you encounter somebody and you're kind, you're empathetic, you're compassionate. Uh, not knowing what they're going through at that time of their life. People who are working generally aren't, majority of people aren't bringing their baggage to work. Some people do. Um, who have a thin veil between the ability to um, to separate it uh, from you know to to separate it in their in their minds I guess so to speak you know to put it in the back drawer so to speak and go to work and do the work effectively I think it still impacts people and I focus everywhere in every which way I can through my books and talks and everything else to get, to give people processes that they can really apply to solve to settle the part where they're not feeling so good about themselves to deal with life and so that when they're at work, they can be there. And it's all about being present. I think Jane, I'd say go back to Jane one more time. She was present, dealing with present, her present feelings, her present issue. Imagine telling somebody, they're giving money and say, I'm going to be back and I will, I will pay this back to you. And then you go off with the certainty, the absolute certainty that you're going to do just that. And it's mm -hmm. just one piece of the driving formula of, uh, of confidence that he has in herself to be able to do whatever it is. I am doing this thing. I'm going to go out and, and get not one but three jobs. And, and then 
pays him back and just moves forward from there. By the way, the, the, the first Montessori school I ever saw was, when, was in 1974. The first mm-hmm. Montessori school. It was around the corner from where we lived in uh, California when we, when we moved out there. I'd never heard of him before. Um, and I actually went there for a couple of occasions. I can't remember exactly what right now, but uh, I think there, was, there were a couple of kids in the neighborhood that belonged there, and we went there to help celebrate something with them. And I thought it was a phenomenal uh, school. I thought it was a phenomenal concept. They were raising human beings, spiritual beings in a human body, in a, in a world filled with who knows what. And I, I thought that was that concept of mental preparation, helping them understand who they are, and um, engaging with the world with, with love and respect and empathy and compassion, that and kindness, that never gets old. That is, that's something that we, we can all embrace. And if we are not embracing it now, it's because we've gotten away from it, let something outside of ourselves interfere with that process. I, I was writing something the other day and said, you know, we were born with several wonderful gifts. On, we were born happy. We were born loving, unconditionally loving. We were born kind. We were born compassionate. We were born empathetic. So literally, we were born vibrating. We were born, we were born enlightened. And we're, we were born vibrating at the highest frequency levels possible and then learn to be otherwise. That is, so the question then becomes, how do we get back? How do we get back there? How do we get back to to being that essence of Mm -hmm. the essence of who we were when we were born, and which when we die, we'll go back to, go back to unconditional love. How can we deal with that? And uh, we could use a lot of that right now, and having it, would make a world of difference in our in our not only our relationships, our family, because um, you've got families that can't even connect with each other in a positive way, and because of things, stuff, baggage, whatever it is that doesn't really make a hill of beans worth of difference, um, you know, it doesn't make any any it doesn't serve us. We get caught up in it. This diatribe of of, of repeating negativity, repeating stories that we happen to live every single day. Um, what if we couldn't? What if we were to drop that uh, and live live differently? And you're um, so right. You're so right. I didn't, it. Yeah. Oh, hello there. Uh, Reading. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, you lost, I lost you there for a moment. I lost you there for a I moment. I know. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what happened. We had a temporary glitch, but I, I sometimes <laughs> say, I have no idea. That was technology. Mercury's still in retrograde. <laughs> I have no idea. It, um, well, is that what it is? It. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, what's so fascinating to me is sometimes I think you, you read my mind, Michael, you know, and there was um, – an author that I had tuned into not so long ago, and he was talking about it's not about what the average person would do. It's about what an extraordinary person would do. And he said, you know, if you have a pulse, you know, realize that you were born extraordinary, period. 
you know, so you have that option. You can choose to be extraordinary or and commit to that, or you can choose not to. And and I really love what you you say. You know, I think, you know, and he went on to say that you know when you have an extraordinary outcome requires extraordinary efforts and extraordinary risks and extraordinary determination and extraordinary mindset. And it it's a commitment to that. It's easy to not do that. Yesterday, I was out with a friend of mine, and we were picking up some things at a few different places. And when after we checked out, I was loading the car, and she said, oh, my gosh, they never rang up my flower pots. We were <laughs> buying some plants. And I said, well, check your receipt. And she said, I, you know, I can't take these. And she went back in, and she found some more on the shelf, and she went to the checkout, and she said to the, the person, I just realized you never charged me for these, and I'm bringing these up so you can charge me for them. And um, the person said, well, why did you do that? You could just leave. Why don't you just leave? And she said, I can't do that. She said, "Um, you You didn't charge me for these. And, um, you know, it took a little of explaining, and then the person, you know, rang up the, the flower pots, and then we went to the next place. And sure enough, we had a, a big cart full of all these things, and I had paid for my things, and she paid for her things. And here, there was a pair of hand clippers that didn't get rung up. She went right back in again and did the same thing. And, and she said, what is it? <laughs> the universe trying to give me free things today. And, and she said, you know, but she is that type of person. She would not, it, it didn't matter. You know, and, and I happy to wait. And I said, I, you know, I said I didn't see it. You know, she didn't see it. It wasn't as though we, you know, we were trying to <laughs> be deceptive. And the girl pulling off the cart, I think she just it, she just overlooked it. But in that, to me, is somebody that has integrity. That is similar to Jane in her ethic of returning what she had borrowed from the, that steward um, and going back. <clears throat> that is your mother saying, you know, I'll need to do whatever I can um, beyond what's uh, considered ordinary efforts so that my children can finish their schooling. Uh, And really, I mean, that took a lot of courage because, as you said, that was not even heard of. It was never, never done. But she knew that that what she wanted to achieve. I'm like, literally, I'm like your friend. I, 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 I have to, if I, if I don't get rung up with something, if something's off, if they, they got the wrong price in there, I, I got to tell them. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it's, it's, you feel good when you do it. Uh, it's a function of living embracing that um, in, in every aspect. If somebody does something and you, and I've done it many times and I've had that same situation where what, why did you even tell me? Why didn't you just, go with it you had the opportunity and you know what you're a business and you 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 don't survive and thrive by um, having people walk off with things uh that that somehow somebody didn't made a mistake and didn't charge you for um mm-hmm. and so it does happen it, it does happen and in my view it's the universe just kind of uh, testing her uh her um her mindset <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's just a little test for her, you know. Life is a, you know, the life is a laboratory, the classroom that gives you every opportunity to continually validate uh, what you, um, 
what you, you know, the, the character of who you are, what you embrace, um, mm-hmm. and the perceptions that you have about yourself and, and uh, life. You're, you're in conversations. It just it basically sits around all day long and just validates that for you. You have every opportunity through the experiences you have to validate uh, what your thinking is, what your mindset is, and your resolve. And um, I think, I'm sure Jane, we'll go back to her because I think she's an amazing, was an amazing person. I'm sure that's what she experienced every single time. There's, people can, people can you, you talked about energy fields and things, and, and in, in my view, it's not only my view, but in my view, you can, you put out in your energy field, three feet from your body, and further out mm-hmm. from that, uh, electromagnetically, uh, the the thoughts and feelings that you have. I wish people would just get that. Um, right. It's even through the phone line. You can literally be thinking of someone, and they call. Why is that? Robert B. Stone, um, who's one of uh, who's a great author, and you should look up some of his books. He's an amazing guy. He teaches you how to do that on purpose, how to um, hold someone in your mind's eye and your energy field. Um, in your hands uh, and be able to see energy going to that person and saying, call me. <laughs> and they call you. And you're like, huh? People think it's coincidence. It's not. There are no accidences. There are no coincidences. And nothing, everything has a purpose when it, when it happens. It give you a choice one way or the other um, because we have free will. However, no accidents, no coincidences. And it's so fun to go through life with that mindset, asking yourself, how did this, how did, what, what, what's, what's, my, what's my involvement here? You know, how was I part of manifesting this in my life? And how were they part of this? Really kind of cool. So yeah. we'll talk more about that later, but it's, it's really neat. Yeah, to, and I, and I you know, I, I will keep pondering your, your thoughts about how we join in connectedness. I, when you, you were asking that question, Michael, how is it that we could bring people together? A few years ago, they had an event called Lightfest. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a gathering of individuals that come together. They have music and things like that in the afternoon, but the sole purpose is you're given a, a lantern and you write an intention on it, and as the dust comes, you know, they, they tell people, okay, we're going to light our la- lanterns now, but don't let them go. And as the heat fills up the, the lantern and they're getting ready to take off, it's starting to get dark and all of the lights, you know, kind of illuminate. And it's, it's such a, a beautiful, peaceful, amazing thing to be a part of. And I think when you have moments like that, you do feel that connection. It's and what you were so. speaking about. It's the light within within us, and when we can shine it, even if it's through something as simple as an intention on a lantern that's released in unison, uh, it's really quite remarkable. Very symbolic, very very symbolic. Um, it's it is amazing uh, that uh, those those. I mean, you can you can just you feel so close to everyone that it's mm-hmm. an incredibly emotional experience. You feel so close to everyone. And um, you feel that when you're in a group, with a group of people who have the same interests. You know, mm-hmm. people who, if a bunch of people who love golf get together, a bunch of people who love certain kinds of music get together, 
um, and you're all you know one together and you're that's the power of music and uh, as, a, as, a, as an element of alchemy it's absolutely phenomenal because vibration is sound uh, and so uh, when you, you, you've had that feeling when you've been in a concert and the, the, everybody has, uh, back in the old days, people used to hold up a lighter. Now they hold up a cell phone and turn a light on, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a flashlight on it. And everybody's like together, kind of whole places kind of swaying to the music and the sound and the, and the, the melody. And, and uh, you feel that sense of oneness. And uh, you have to take that feeling and you have to bottle it <laughs> inside of you and hold on to it and remember it. Uh, it's already going to be remembered because 10 years, 20 years later, you'll be thinking about that wonderful time you had. The question is, how do you keep it, hold it in the forefront of your consciousness so that you can tap into it whenever you need to? That's really the question. And that's based on the individual. You know, really is based on the individual. It's possible. I love doing it. You can sit down, you can relive a, an event like that. Whenever you're in a situation that is a little bit stressful or anxious or whatever, you can relive those, those times. You just have to put yourself out there and actually experience them. That's the key. Mm-hmm. You've got to get out and actually do it. And when you, when you participate in something like that, it's a mind-blowing, life-changing experience. At least it can be. Let's put it that way. And basically, yeah, absolutely. It's the case, you know. Oh, absolutely. I remember There's, concerts... But- Go ahead. Go ahead. No. No, I remember concerts. Earth, Wind, and Fire back in 1975. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, that was album. amazing. They they made a live album that day, so every I was there at that concert. They made this live album, and I whenever I hear it, I I go back to being in the audience at that particular event, um, and it, it it is it was really special. Sly and the Family Stone, uh, front row seat, Utica, New York, Utica Memorial Auditorium. Um, and front, uh, literally, Sylvester, the, the band was five feet from me for the whole night. It, I, want to, I want somebody to sit me down, take me back, hypnotize me, take me back to that moment. I can I imagine tell how you, I want to relive magical. that like nobody's business. Yeah, I want to, like, you want to talk about magical. The, the, the interesting thing about life is that we can purposely and with intention create those opportunities, those moments for ourselves. And in, in my view, that's what we're here to do, is to create these magical moments for ourselves every single day. Maybe not on the scale of Sly and the Family Stone in concert or whatever. However, that, wouldn't it be fantastic if that were our mindset, whether we were working someplace or not, what, regardless of what, we, what our right livelihood was, we put ourselves in, in we in, with intention, had the goal, had the mission of creating experiences like that. It's possible. It's not just a concert. Absolutely. It's an experience we're looking to go for and whatever. Having experiences talking to people. I, watched, I listened to Jeepak Chopra talk for two hours without ever – at, without ever looking at anything. He was standing at a podium, beside a podium, beside it, not behind it, beside it. <laughs> he talked for two hours coherently about a dialogue of just magic. It was magical. Um, and wow. you, you, you can experience that. Um, and uh, I'll leave you with this. You asked me about 
my earlier about my my uh, my mother and my grandparents. And my dad left. He went to school. My dad was my dad's father was a cabbage farmer. He wanted so badly to be out of that that he he studied and studied and studied and got accepted to Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. And he went into the ROTC program so that he could travel the world. So he could be he went into the military so that he could he could do that. He was in communications. He's a modern IT guy. My mother doesn't know who her parents were. She was born in Athens, Georgia. Uh, however, the person we call grandfather was her uncle. That's who she went to live with. That's who we called grandfather. And, and the wonderful thing about it, we go back to D.C. because it's where my mother grew up part of the time. Most of the time is in Washington, D.C. Um, and I still have relatives there, cousins and other people. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, I don't, I don't miss that relationship because I really never had it. Um, that's right. not a bad thing or anything. It's just, you know, we, we, we experienced other things. Our lives had a different purpose. Um, some people get totally contained within their nuclear family and as a result never stretch out, leave the nest, so to speak, and experience the world and open up their horizons, broaden their horizons, so to speak, and, and, their, and give themselves the contrast that helps them evolve into and experiences to evolve into a, a higher consciousness. Um, and that, you know, that's not for me to say it's good or bad. However, um, I've enjoyed the heck out of uh, my life and what my parents are forever grateful. I told my dad that before he passed in 2012, at least, I don't know, I wrote him a letter. <laughs> he had dementia and I wrote him a letter while he could still read it uh, and understand it um, and wouldn't forget it. So um, you, you have these opportunities to thank and be and show tremendous gratitude to the people that help shape you in your life, and you have to take the opportunity to do it when you when you can. Um, that taught me that, and other passings of people that I've had have taught me that you you really you you have to really covet the people who are closest to you. Tell them you love them in every opportunity, uh, and be grateful for their existence, even though sometimes you abhor their existence <laughs> or you, you know, you, you, uh-huh. you're like picked off at them or whatever, you, you get over that and, and you have to understand that that was an instance that you just have to let go of. It doesn't define your relationship with them. It's just something that happened. And other than that, they're a spiritual being. So are you. They're part of your soul group anyway. They're here for whatever purpose to help you and you help them. Um, we can get into that. We, we started to get into that with, uh, with, uh, uh, Joe Higgins, because that's phenomenal. That changes your whole perception of people, family, everything. Um, that, that the people that, what about this concept? I don't know if this is true or not. I have to ask him about it. But what about the concept that every person you ever cross paths with in your, in your, in your existence here on this earthly plane that you've known in some other life? Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't that be interesting? Just a conundrum to just think about it. I think... You know, what might be kind of fun is if we have uh, Joe Higgins join Scott Robinson with us on a – talk about okay. something if we can, can make that – All right. Happen. We have to work on that one in the next couple of weeks. We have to do yeah. that. That's a brilliant idea. Brilliant. Yeah. Get I Joe think that would be a, a lot of fun. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. I would love that. Yeah. I would yeah. love that. Yeah. Now, listen – Right. This has been a lot of fun. I know our time's probably up. 
It is. Um, I'm going to just leave you with one thing, and I'm going to let you close it. And it no, no, from, you do it this time. Thomas Edison, you, and, I, and it's my challenge to, to myself and to the audience. And uh, But it, he said, if we, if we did all the things we are capable of, we would literally astound ourselves. So do something oh, unexpected and astound yourself. And uh, All right, I got a quote for you to leave with. I got a quote I'm going to leave with. You do not find the happy in life. You make it. That's from Camilla Herring Kimball. You do not find the happy in life. You make it. Beautiful. There you go. Well, thank you all for thank joining you. us here on Connect to Love. Until next time, uh, um, I'm Michael J. Ross, thank you so much and, and looking forward to, to our next adventure. Thank you so much. Please. Bye-bye.